Good evening, Eduardo, Miguel, Sanchez. Welcome on VH Berries. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I am extremely grateful. How are you doing today? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, you know, just uh, the end of my night here, and uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you. So, um, you know, everything's good. Everything is good, and I found out that there are no letter T in the full name: Eduardo Miguel Sanchez Quiros, and there should be. A double T, because you are the traveler. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I would love Eduardo Sanchez to discuss about this latest release called Satanic Hispanics. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. Um, yeah. The uh, it was uh, it's an anthology movie. And um, it was, um, it, uh, I guess, last year, about a year and a half ago, um, my um, friend Alejandro Bruges and Mike Mendez uh, were producing, who are the producers of the movie. They uh, called me and they were like, hey, um, uh, do you want to be part of an anthology movie? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure, sure. And then, and, and I've been part of anthology movies before, but... Um, you know, they go, they, some have gone well, some have gone, you know, not so well. Uh, so I decide, you know, uh, so I was, you know, kind of on the fence, even though, you know, uh, they're my friends and I really wanted to do it, but, and then they told me the, the name of the movie and it was going to be called Satanic Hispanics. And I was like, I'm in, I'm in. And, um, the, uh, you know, <laughs> how can you turn down a title like that? So, uh, we shot my segment, um, I guess early, yeah, earlier this year, and um, it was called the my segment's called El Vampiro, and um, it stars uh, Hemki Madera, who I met on the show Queen of the South, and um, it was a great opportunity for us to do some comedy together. Um, I've known Hemki for a while, and uh, he has he usually does like very straight uh, characters. But he has a really great sense of humor, and uh, him and I have been wanting to do something together for a long time. And uh, I asked him to do it, and he was like, "Yeah, let let's do it," you know. And so he loved the premise, and um, you know. And then he came to uh, actually he came to Maryland uh, to where I live to shoot it, and um, and we did it, and uh, the movie came out, I guess, um, uh, last month. And uh, you know, I'm really proud to be a part of it. All this has it's five films and. They're all really solid, and um, I was just really honored to be a part of that uh, anthology. You're very proud, Eduardo Sanchez, to be part of this anthology. And if I understood correctly, in this project, we can find five film directors, five stories, and probably 5,000 creative ideas. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, it's, um, you know, uh, Damian <laughs> Rugna is one of the uh, filmmakers and Gigi Guerrero and um, uh, Alejandro Bruges and Mike Mendez and myself. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it was, um, you know, when you do an anthology, you're, you know, there's always this pressure of like, you know, you got to step up and, you know, you, you don't want you don't want your movie to be the worst one of, of the group. 
but I can honestly say that all 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 five of it, all five of them are really solid. And uh, Mike Mendez, who is the one that does all the he he connects all the movies. He did an amazing job, you know, putting them together. It's like one of the best um, wraparound, uh, you know, films uh, of any anthology I've been a part of. I've actually I've ever seen. So it was cool. It, and again, yeah, I'm really proud to have been a part of it. And uh, you know, hopefully there'll be Satanic Hispanics too, and uh, we can bring, you know, we can get some others the spotlight on some other, uh, you know, Latino uh, filmmakers. Bringing the spotlight, Eduardo Miguel Sanchez on other Hispanic filmmakers. For example, next time, not bringing five directors, but. 50 directors. I don't know how you're going to manage this very huge collaboration, but this is an upcoming challenge. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many great, uh, you know, uh, Latino filmmakers out there. And um, it's, uh, you know, it'd be cool to, to kind of put a little, you know, just like, again, like I said, like put the spotlight on some of them, uh, these really talented people and, uh, and, you know, see what they can do see what they can do and at the very beginning i mentioned the double t a character called the traveler can you tell us who is the traveler and do you find some similarities between the traveler and yourself um the traveler is um the main character in the movie he is um uh, the guy that basically um, ties all the other films together, and um, he's basically an he's a, a man who uh, made a deal with um, a demon, Santa Muerte, and um, he uh, he's immortal. <laughs> but this thing is following him, and he has to keep moving, or else you know death basically um, uh, gets him. Um, so the whole movie, basically he gets arrested at the beginning of the movie and his whole movie is him trying to convince the cops that, you know, he needs to get out of there and he, because death is coming their way. Um, and, uh, and besides being, I guess, Latino, he, he, him and I haven't really <laughs> don't have much in common. He, he's, um, you know, he can, he, he can tell he's a fighter and he's seen some really, you know, uh, you know, crazy things in his life. And I've uh, honestly been blessed to have had a pretty sheltered life. You know, uh, I came here from Cuba when I was uh, about five years old. And um, my parents really, um, you know, even though they were immigrants and they didn't have much, they really took really great care of us. And uh, and uh, I've been blessed just to be part of the, um, you know, the American dream. And, uh, you know, I became a filmmaker, which was, you know, crazy. Um, and now I direct television shows, so I've been uh, I've been very blessed. So yeah, me and the, the traveler have uh, you know very very little in common, honestly. Absolutely, Eduardo Sanchez, and one catchphrase that I really enjoyed in, for example, the trailer that is putting the spotlight on this feature film is all Hispanic AF, and I believe that. AF means everything but autofocus. Yes, yes. No, it's definitely not autofocus. Um, I think I think uh, Gigi Sol Guerrero came up with that. The, uh, the Hispanic AF. Um, I mean, you know, look, we we um, you know we wanted you know with a title like Satanic Hispanics, it's not like we're trying to hide. 
Um, so, you know, we definitely wanted to kind of push and, and just kind of uh, tell people that, you know, this is a, you know, this is a movie that's going to, it's a crazy movie. It's definitely a crazy movie. And, um, you know, I think uh, people are enjoying it and uh, it, it's great to see the people's reactions when they watch it. So I think the, the tagline is, is very accurate. The tagline is very accurate, Eduardo Sanchez. And you may not have the same uh, characteristic as the traveler, but this idea of um, and the word uh, traveling is something that you can relate because, as you just mentioned, you went from Cuba to Washington DC and I would love to discuss about those early days moving to the United States of America. Can you tell us a little bit more about this chapter? Yeah, um, I was, uh, we, we left Cuba when I was two years old, so I don't really remember anything about Cuba and we went to Spain um, because it was a little trick, it was tricky to go to come straight to the United States. So we ended up in Spain for three years and then eventually ended up in, uh, in Washington, DC, like you said. And, um, I mean, you know, it was, you know, uh, basically I was, you know, completely, I didn't know English, so I came here and I had to learn it. And, but I was very young and I learned it pretty quickly. And, um, we, uh, you know, my parents, uh, you know, did the best they could, you know, they were two immigrants, uh, you know, um, not particularly, you know, educated, um, you know, in, in any college or anything. So my dad was a contractor and, um, he was a, you know, very hard worker. In fact, I mean, he's still alive and he's like 87 and he still wants to build stuff and, you know, uh, you know, whatever he, whatever he, you know, you ask him to do, he'll, he'll try to do it, even though, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, kind of getting his, in his later years. And, uh, my mom just did whatever she could to support my dad, you know, uh, babysat kids. And so there was, there were always a struggle and there's always a lot of hard work. Um, I grew up with, you know, um, just, uh, my mom at home, but all always working, always trying to make some money. And my dad, you know, you know, by the time I got it, he would an early riser and he would come home late and, uh, always working. He, he, you know, he loved to work with his hands and, uh, he was a pretty brilliant contractor, you know, did a lot of things, um, built a lot of things. I used to help him in the summer. Um, I was his assistant. I was a terrible assistant. Um, and uh, but, you know, he, they taught me that, um, you know, they were just I just think that what they did was incredibly brave. And they taught me and my I have, I have a younger sister and an older sister. And they taught us just to kind of keep pushing forward. And um, my mom, even though you know, they both came from very, uh, humble beginnings. Like she, you know, she really supported me. Um, and for some reason, like really supported my dream of being a filmmaker, even though it was a completely, you know, stupid dream. It was, you know, a ridiculous dream. And, you know, I think most, um, parents, especially, um, you know, parents who come from humble, um, you know, uh, you know, origins, um, they, uh, you know, they, they want you to, you know, be a lawyer or an accountant or, you know, a doctor, you know, something that is steady, has steady work at least. And, um, my mom was, um, just someone who really supported me, even though she knew how hard it was going to be for me, you know, and, and that, you know, being a, a filmmaker was, you know, just a, a dream that was probably not going to happen, you know? Um, and, uh, but you know, we, we made it and, um, they're luckily they're still alive and they're living in Florida. And, um, 
we um you know we i, I learned like community there was a, a lot of um hispanics in in the community that i grew up in and we took care of each other and and uh watched out for each other and um you know it was great because my i was basically you know living in cuba as at home and then i would go to school and you know be in full on in, in you know in the united states so it was very it was kind of difficult for a little while just kind of getting my footing and i and i i've never really felt um you know, a hundred percent American or a hundred percent Cuban. You know, I've, I feel like I'm, um, you know, kind of half and half and I'm very proud of, you know, to be American and I'm very proud to be Cuban. And, uh, and it's given me kind of a, a unique perspective. I think the kind of the, the immigrant perspective of just like, you know, being able to see both sides of things, um, of not only the immigration issue, but of a lot of other issues. Um, because, you know, I, I kind of, I lived both sides, you know? So, um, you know, it, it was definitely something, you know, I, I always tell my parents, I'm like, you guys were so brave and like, I can't believe that you guys came to this country and, you know, they didn't know the language. They still don't know English, um, you know, and uh, and just somehow made it, you know, they raised three kids that are, you know, pretty normal kids. And, and um, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, it, it, I'm just so proud of them and, and, you know, and so happy that they made the decision to to leave Cuba. You know, at the time it was, uh, you know, uh, it was there's, there's a lot of um dark things happening and uh, and you know the people of cuba are still uh, you know oppressed and they figured you know we got to get the, our kids out of here so i i, I uh you know uh, i thank them every day um for their brave decision to to bring us to the united states absolutely this story is giving you a unique perspective even as a film director and in definitive Eduardo Miguel Sanchez, a traveler, can be a passenger. And when you were traveling, you didn't do a stopover because you took a starship and probably <laughs> one from your favorite saga, which is Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of me, you know, um, yeah, I wish, I, I wish I could have, you know, uh, you know, gotten in an X-Wing fighter and, and come here. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, as you can see in my office, I'm a huge Star Wars fan and you can see my background. Um, and, uh, you know, and that really was Star Wars was really what got me into filmmaking, like at least interested in, in filmmaking, you know, and I was like eight years old when the movie came out. And I uh, just, you know, like everybody else in the world, it just kind of blew our minds and um, just inspired me to, to try to learn to, uh, you know, to be, uh, to just learn as much as possible about, you know, movies in general. Um, so I owe, uh, I owe a lot to Star Wars and, uh, and I've definitely, I've definitely given them, given George Lucas and Lucasfilm enough of my own money um, through all the, the stuff that I've bought. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong passion of mine. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, and my dream is to direct some kind of Star Wars TV show. Um, so, um, you know, my fingers are crossed that I can do that uh, soon. Your finger are crossed. Eduardo Miguel Sanchez, and you started in the United States of America, in that Washington, D.C. city. And 
you asked yourself at that time, how am I going to be a director? And at that time, what were your answers? I mean, you know, you know, I was, uh, again, you know, I watched Star Wars and it kind of just blew my mind and it really made me interested in like, you know, how they, how would they do this? You know, and I, and it really gave me an idea of like how powerful the cinema was. And, and I, and I, and I've always been a movie lover. My dad, um, loved movies, always took me to the movies, always watched movies on TV. Uh, even though he doesn't speak English, he would like, you know, he liked uh, James Bond movies and anything action. Um, Rambo is one of his favorite movies. Um, but also he loves, you know, comedy, like he loves Naked Gun and Airplane. So he taught me, um, and, you know, he, just through him just enjoying, te- you know, movies, I, I think he just kind of, um, kind of, you know, the bug kind of crossed over to me. Um, but... Uh, you know, I lived in, in Washington D.C. There, there wasn't really any filmmaking, uh, at least that I knew of, going on in Washington D.C. You know, everything was L.A. or New York. And as a kid, you know, as a Cuban kid, um, you know, of of, of um, you know, uh, not much money, and you know, um, doing doing our best. You know, the immigrant story here. It was, you know, very. You know, it was a dream. It was. It was just like. Um, something that I really didn't take seriously, even though I love movies and I learned all about them and I would, um, try to make my own movies and, you know, uh, you know, it was just, it was a, you know, I write, I would write these little short movies and uh, try to shoot them. And, um, you know, it was a much more difficult back then cause there was no video, you know, we had to, you know, try to do super eight and with super eight camera and, you know, it was just, the film was so expensive and it was just a really hard thing. So i never really took it seriously as far as like. A career was concerned but then in high school I was about 16 years old and they offered a television production class in my school and um, I was I took it you know just I'm gonna you know, see see how see what this is all about and the first day in the class my teacher and I remember this moment his name was Pete Barron and he um, he you know he was a social studies teacher that you know ended up Teach, you know, he had, had worked at a TV station, so they were like, hey, you can teach the television production class. But he was a good teacher, and he basically just, you know, stood up there and said, look, you know, um, this isn't really, like, about movie making. This is, you know, about television, and he to- told us all of the ideas, all the different jobs that you could get, um, you know, in the TV business and, in, you know, and in the film business. And he kind of opened my eyes to, to the idea that like, hey, maybe this is actually really a, a career. And from that, like, I remember that moment, it was like a switch was, was um, you know, hit in my, in my head. It was like, um, I was like, I can, I can do this. I can be a filmmaker. And obviously, you know, I was, you know, again, it was a dream and I was um, d- definitely delusional um, for, to, to set for certain, for certain I was delusional, but it was just so much fun and I just loved making little videos with my friends and then I went to college and continued and you know I, I learned to edit in high school and I learned to shoot and you know learned to start writing and you know and I and it took me to, to Montgomery College in, in Maryland and then from there I went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando and that's where um, you know we started working with real film and it became something um, you know like really tangible like you know the the plan to like make, make a film and you know go to Sundance or go to another festival sell it and then you know you you had a career kind of following 
in the footsteps of, you know, Robert Rodriguez and, you know, um, Kevin Smith. And um, that's in use at UCF is where um, I met, um, you know, basically all the all the other four guys that I made Blair Witch Project with. And so, you know, without UCF, um, you know, we Blair Witch probably wouldn't exist. And that's where I met Dan Myrick, who I wrote, you know, I came up with the idea and I wrote the movie with him and directed it and then edited it later. And uh, Rob Cowie was one of the producers and Greg Hale was um, a, a kind of a producer slash director, creative director. Um, and then Mike Manello, who is the, the fifth uh, partner who helped us make the film and a lot of other people. I mean, there, there's a, a Ben Rock was also in, in, in UCF. There's a lot of people from UCF that that, you know, that's really where the Blair Witch began. And um and, you know, and we, you know, went and did the movie. We shot it in Maryland. And that was, uh, and you know, and that's why I'm talking to you right now. You know, we made this movie and it, it went great. It, it uh, blew up unexpectedly. And um, we, um, you know, and I'm still, you know, kind of reaping the benefits of, of, of that, um, that little explosion that happened in 1999, you know. Professor Pete Baron changed the life of... Eduardo Miguel Sanchez and at the beginning of this uh, next chapter it started as you just mentioned with a project and a draft called The Woods yeah. Movie. Can you tell us a little bit more about the genesis of this project with the four people that you just mentioned? So, you know, I was at um, at University of Central Florida and um, we were, uh, Dan and I, Dan Myrick and I were just hanging out. We um, we were in the first year of the film program and we um, were friends and, you know, on weekends we just, you know, go watch movies or whatever. And we, ha and we watched this movie called Freddy's Dead, which was a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And, um, you know, it was a fun movie, but it wasn't very scary. It was a kind of a different, you know, it was like, you know, you know, it wasn't really like scary horror. It was, you know, like Roseanne Barr was in it and Tom Arnold. And that's pretty much all I remember of that movie. And um, so Dan and I came home, you know, to my um, apartment, my townhouse, whatever. I think it was a little townhouse that I lived in. And um, we were just like talking about the movies that scared us as kids. And we were wondering, like, you know, there haven't really been, you know, this is like early, like probably 1990. Um there hadn't been a lot of, you know, scary movies, um, at, at, at recently at that time. And, um, and we were just wondering, like, you know, I wonder if you could make a scary movie. And we started talking about the movies that really, um, affected us as kids that we really loved as kids that really scared us as kids. And we kind of got together and we, we went to uh, the video store. There was a big video store that had all, all thousands of VHSs and, uh, we rented a bunch of um, movies that we loved as kids, and um, we ended up really kind of focusing on this show called In Search Of, which was a, a show that was um, here in the United States in the late 70s and I think early 80s. And it was narrated by Leonard Nimoy, you know, who played Spock in Star Trek. And it was a really creepy show because it was uh, like a documentary show. Um, where it had like little half hour episodes about Bigfoot and about UFOs and ghosts and Loch Ness Monster and, you know, anything kind of paranormal, supernatural. And the way they, um, the way they kind of laid out the, the, 
the phenomena was that it was real. Like they would interview people that had seen Bigfoot and that had been, you know, supposedly abducted and, and it had this really creepy music and it had, you know, uh, Leonard Nimoy's narration, which was like, you know, freaky. And, um, both Dan and I were like, you know, we really like kind of came to the conclusion that that, that was kind of the scariest thing that we, as kids, you know, those kinds of shows that, um, you know, the fake documentaries. Um, there was also a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek, which is about Bigfoot. Just those kinds of things like really creeped us out. And I remember being a kid and just being, you know, like um, being so scared that I would have to switch the channel, you know, of, of I, you know, I remember watching a Bigfoot documentary. I don't know if it was In Search Of or something else, because there was a lot of Bigfoot stuff in the 70s. It was, you know, he was like the, a big star. And, um, he, you know, and I remember having to switch the channel because it was just freaking me out too much. And then I would watch something else for a little while and then I would go back to the documentary. It would freak me out a little more and then I would go, you know, I would switch away. Um, and, um, and so, so Dan and I were like, I wonder if you could do that, you know, now, if you could do that with, um, you know, with modern, a modern audience, you know, this is not, you know, uh, 25, well, actually more like 35 years ago. Um, and, um, and we came up with this idea of like, you know, imagine if it was uh, like a like a film crew that went to, you know, to examine kind of like an in search of um, film crew doing a documentary about some kind of folklore, some kind of mythology, you know, and we didn't know what it was. We it was like we knew that we wanted to go into the woods and they're looking for some kind of legend that supposedly some. You know, I remember the first kind of ideas was that there's some kind of hermit or some kind of witch that lives that supposedly some woman that is seen in the town every once in a while. And they're good. Then they go up there to try to find this, you know, witch or this, you know, wizard or whatever it was. Um, and um, and they, you know, they disappear. And then a few you know, years later, their footage is found. And it tells this story of these documentary filmmakers that went into the woods and just basically something was hunting them and, and, you know, and they disappeared. So that was the initial idea. That was like the idea that we came up with like that first weekend. And I remember like the, um, the idea of having, uh, of ending the movie in a house. That was like a very early idea. Like they end up in this creepy house and, you know, our thing, you know, the camera continues into the house. And we were just thinking like, it's, it, it would be so scary because the audience, there's no way to predict what's going to happen. You know, it was kind of one of these movies, um, that you couldn't really tell, you know, that, that, that gave no, um, you know, uh, gave no clues as to what was going to happen, you know? And, um, and we just thought we loved that idea. You know, we just were like, oh my God, this is great. And, but, and, and, you know, we kept developing it and kept talking about it, but Dan, both Dan and I had other films that we were doing and we were trying to graduate from school. And, you know, um, I eventually moved back to Maryland and he stayed in Orlando and tried to, uh, we, we did another feature together and, you know, we just got busy and we kind of forgot about, you know, the woods movie. And then in, um, in 1996, like, you know, five or six years after we came up with the idea, um, I was here in Maryland and I was, you know, in my mid to late twenties and I was in this dead end job and I remember being in traffic, um, in at in, in DC and just like Mike, like what am I doing? So I grabbed the cell phone and I called Dan. I said, Dan, dude, I'm you know I'm getting to the end of my rope here. Let's 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 try to do the Woods movie. Let's let's go out and do it. And he was like, Yeah, man, let's do it. So you know we kind of got the ball rolling, and he 
Um, and he, uh, there was a guy that we went to film school with called, his name was, um, called, his name was Greg Hale. And he was a really great filmmaker. He was like one of the best student filmmakers at, you know, in the, at the school. And, um, Dan and him were trying to write a script together and Dan was like, Hey, you know, uh, Ed told me, called me and, uh, remind me of this story that this movie that we have and that we came up with in film school. And it's called the woods movie. And he, he pitched the story to Dan, to Greg and Greg was like, I'm in, you know, I'm, Oh my God, I love this so much. And Greg, you know, not only was he a great, a pretty good director, but he was really a, a, he's a great producer. And he was like, look, I'll, I'll produce it. You guys direct it and write it. And, um, he put, you know, put in a little bit of his own money and, um, and he kind of got the ball rolling. You know, he really was the guy that, um, you know, started kind of started pushing us to get auditions going. And, uh, so I traveled in, uh, to, to New York to audition some actors and, um, and then eventually, um, he involved, we involved a guy named Rob Cowie, um, who we also had gone to film school with, and he was supposed to bring in the money. Um, and then, um, we had, a, a another guy that we had gone to film school named, um, Mike Manello, who, um, was kind of, um, he was a good friend of mine in film school and he was, um, uh, he, he was, uh, working for, uh, a theater in Florida that was, that ran this thing called the Florida Film Festival, which was a big festival in Florida. And he had a lot of knowledge, like he had been to Sundance and he knew kind of the festival thing and he knew what kinds of movies were hot and he just had a lot of knowledge. So this kind of group, um, this little group of five guys, um, you know, just basically, you know, we, we kind of got down to business and just somehow figured out a way to, to make this movie, raise some money. And then, um, you know, and, 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 you know, came up with the idea and, 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 uh, you know, wrote the script and cast it. And then we finally shot it in October of 1997 here in Maryland and, you know, and kind of the rest is history, but it was definitely started at, you know, it all started at UCF. Um, you just, you know, by, you know, being, you know, in film school together. And I tell people, you know, I tell student filmmakers and, and, um, you know, young filmmakers, like, um, you know, when you go to film school, you know, it's very competitive and, you know, you want to be the best and, you know, you, you know, there's definitely like rivalries, but be sure to, to, you know, filmmaking is very collaborative and you, you have more to learn from other people by working with them than, you know, than by separating yourself from them. So, um, you know, I tell people like, you know, just, you know, try to form the bond, you know, bonds in film school, because, um, you know, without film school, you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you. You know, there would be no Blair Witch Project if I hadn't gone to uh, UCF. Creating a bond with all the other students that is going to create the connection Eduardo Miguel Sanchez between Maryland and Orlando. And I believe that you're grateful for two very specific elements, which are the satellites and the phone plan that allowed you to make that phone call to your friend. And secondly, the remote control on the corner of your sofa, uh, because um, this is the reason why you love uh, television. And by doing the Blair Witch Project, you also became 
an ambassador of the little village of Burkittsville. Can you tell us a little bit more about this very special status as an ambassador? Well, yeah, I was, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I am an ambassador. Um, yeah, it was, you know, the, the when, when Dan and I, you know, because, you know, we, you know, the movie is basically about this, um, this woman named Ellie Kedward that was, um, uh, you know, she, she was, uh, they thought, you know, they thought she was a witch and she was tried for witchcraft and she was, you know, led off into the woods and they tied her to a tree in the middle of the winter. And basically she died out there. And there was this, this town called Blair. Um, and, um, the, during that winter, um, the people in the, in the town started dying. The kids started, you know, dying that the, you know, it was basically the, the town was cursed because they had, um, you know, killed this, this woman. And, um, basically people started talking about this is the Blair witch had destroyed the township of Blair. And by the next winter, by the next uh, summer in the spring, when people came to see, you know, to go to Blair, everybody was dead it was a you know the town was abandoned and there was then nobody knew what happened to the people that lived in Blair so Blair was abandoned and then in the same place that Blair um, this Blair town was um, was built um, a town called Burkittsville in um, 1824 I think was uh, found right founded right on the site of Blair and um, all of that is is a lie other than the town of Burkittsville. There's a real town called Burkittsville. Um, the rest of it was just all made up by us um, as far as part of the folklore and as part of the, of the mythology of, of the movie of the Blair Witch. And um, um, Dan, I remember Dan and I would, you know, we drove around Maryland looking for locations and we found this little beautiful little town um near uh in frederick county actually i still live like 20 minutes from from burkittsville and we we were like oh my god that's a perfect town you know and and when we were like okay so now we're gonna make this up that this burkittsville was blair and you know and we didn't really think much of it you know we were like that's just the background of the movie um and um you know so we used the real town um and uh later on you know very, you know, to our surprise, the movie blew up and um, became very popular. And this township of Blair of uh, Burkittsville, which is very small. I mean, you know, the, the thing about Burkittsville is that if you live in Burkittsville, you are you don't want to be around. You know, you're basically out there to isolate yourself. Like there isn't much. There's like it's basically just one street. And um, the the you know the Blair Witch fans especially on Halloween started coming out to Burkittsville and um they stole the signs and they you know um there was some van there there was I mean you know it's funny now but it was not funny back then um they vandalized a little bit of the of, I think they vandalized the the um the cemetery and you know they they went up there looking for the Blair Witch and um and this is all to our surprise and to, you know, to our horror, because we were like, you know, we we never wanted. First of all, we you know, obviously we never expected the movie to be so popular that um, that this uh, 
that this that Burkittsville was going to, you know, we never thought that it was going to be inundated with people, you know, harassing the the locals or else, you know, we would have just made up the town and just, you know, called it something else. Um, so we had no idea that the movie was going to be so huge and bring this kind of curse to to Burkittsville. So um, the whole ambassador thing for for a long time, um, you know, Burkittsville kind of hated us. You know, they. Um, I remember uh, meeting, you know, years later with the mayor of Burkittsville and um, she had lived through the whole Blair Witch thing. And she said that, you know, it was just people were just walking around and people for some reason thought that this was a movie set. They were going into people's homes and, uh, you know, and I don't know exactly what (laughs) happened, you know, but there's definitely, you know, they definitely stole the signs and we actually um, paid for the signs to be replaced. And then those signs were stolen. Um, so we were not popular there. So I was like the, 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 um, you know, the opposite of an ambassador, you know, I was like, you know, a a public enemy of of Burkittsville, but then recently, and you know, the story ends in a, in a, in a good, with a good ending. Um, actually just this year, the, they had, they have a new mayor in Burkittsville and he's a really huge fan of Blair Witch. And he, um, you know, he kind of wanted to heal the wounds, of between us and and you know and the township of, of Burkittsville, so we actually like this this year we did um, a screening of Blair Witch Project in Burkittsville for the first time ever, and I never thought in a million years that I that we were going to be doing a showing of Blair Witch you know in Burkittsville. I thought that that was you know that they were going to be we were going to be enemies and that we were going to be kind of. Um, you know, um, forbidden to, to show the movie there forever, but he, um, he made it, he made it part of a, it was a, a, a fundraiser for the cemetery and we, you know, it sold out and it was a really nice event. And now he's thinking of doing it every year and next year is the 25th anniversary. So, you know, we're going to do something cool there. And, uh, you know, and I, like I said, I lived like 20 minutes from Burkittsville. So I, you know, we went with all my friends and it was a cool time, you know, it was, um, people love still love this movie you know and it was just really special to be able to 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 share the movie and and to talk to people um you know in Burkittsville so the and now you know and I guess now yeah I mean I guess maybe you can call me an ambassador now but I still feel like you know a certain remorse for like you know for you know messing up um you know these people's lives for a little while and um and you know and hopefully that you know it, that's kind of stopped they they say that they that people still co- go out there in halloween um but um hopefully people are more respectful and they don't bother um the residents of burkittsville anymore but yeah i guess i am kind of uh you know sort of an ambassador to to uh, to burkittsville it was a cool time with mayor michael j robinson right. and i was actually going to question your ability and quality as an ambassador because the purpose of an ambassador is to bring more people um, that are going to live in the village of Burkittsville. But the contrary is happening because from 1870, we had 293 inhabitants and at the latest uh, census in 2020, we counted only 142 inhabitants. This is a large 
decrease and I am questioning yeah. <laughs> Eduardo Miguel Sanchez and as an ambassador. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm kind of the opposite of an ambassador. I, I mean, you know, like I, like I said, like people and that's and that was the whole kind of, you know, sad thing about it is that. You know the people of Burkittsville, you know, were were there to just basically be away from you know any kind of spotlight, any kind of you know um, you know craziness, and unfortunately the movie um, you know uh, gave them uh, you know that 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 bit of infamy, um, and uh, so yeah, so hopefully they forgive me, and and hopefully you know yeah, I mean it's a, it's a beautiful place, you know, hopefully that you know more people start moving in, but I think they I think you know I honestly feel that like they they want it that way. They want it to be, uh, you know, they don't want um, any development and they want it to keep it that small. So I think that, I think they're happy with the, you know, the number of residents right now. Absolutely. Eduardo Miguel Sanchez, the city is happy with uh, the number of uh, inhabitants uh, currently yeah. living uh, in uh, that village. And you created uh, through this saga, very powerful references um, with uh, Mr. Punctuality by putting some uh, songs such as uh, Rigor by uh, Digging Lilies. Lilies. Yeah, yeah. Dig Lilies. And um, in conclusion, how do you see the evolution of horror? Because this is a genre that you are appreciating a lot. What is for you the future of horror? I don't know, you know, and that's and that's really what is exciting, you know. Um, there are definitely some great um, younger horror filmmakers um, that are making, you know, really great movies. Um, I think that um, the um, there's more diversity now. There's more um, women um, horror filmmakers um, that we are kind of welcoming into the fold um and also just you know diversity you know there's more just general more diverse stories being told um at least we're pushing that way you know and that was part of why we you know we thought satanic hispanics was important is just to kind of you know push that idea that there are uh, different voices out there uh, telling these horror stories but um you know, the the, the I, for me the future. I believe that the future of horror is strong. Um, I think it's a genre that um, has a very uh, fanatical base. You know, of of um, people that appreciate it. There are people that literally watch every horror movie that comes out. Um, they live this thing. You know, Halloween is getting more and more popular in the United States. I don't know if that's the way it is over there too, but it seems like it's becoming almost as popular as Christmas and um, people really enjoy it and they kind of, you know, enjoy, you know, kind of um, safely delving into the dark side of humanity. Um, and I think horror movies um, give you, give people that release, give people that, um, you know, the, 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 they, they, they show people something dark, but it's safe because you're at home or you're a movie theater um, and, um, you know, so, so, and I think, and it's just, people love that. I mean, people, there's certain, the, so the audience is very strong. Um, and I think that, uh, th there's, I, there's, I'm pretty sure there's more horror movies being made than now than, than there ever have been. Um, the whole idea of the digital revolution where people are making movies, you know, with their phones, 
Um, I think that's a, it's a great thing. I mean, even though it does create a lot of clutter, it does give opportunity to people that, um, you know, before, like when I was young, um, you know, we, there wasn't this, the, 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 you know, we had to make a movie, you had to either, um, you know, have a, you definitely had to have some money, but you had to know how to, you know, find a film camera and then film. And it was a very much a, a very complicated process. And now, you know, every, anybody can make a movie, you know, and anybody can edit a movie on, on their, you know, on their computers. So, um, I don't think that, I think the genre is strong and I really look forward to, um, you know, the new stuff that's coming out. And, uh, and, and I think that there's, um, you know, horror lets people, I think it, it, um, the, the, you know, the innovation, I think, um, uh, comes from indie horror, you know, um, and then the lack of, uh, of funds and the lack of resources makes people, um, makes the filmmakers, uh, kind of like what we did with Blair Witch, you know, we didn't have the money. So you had to creatively kind of create, you know, make something that was, um, you know, that people wanted to see. And I think that type of creativity, especially in horror is very strong. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, the, some of the most innovative films are, are horror films these days, especially indie horror films. So, I feel that like, you know, there's a lot of creativity and, 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 um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of wide open and I'm, I, I really look forward to, to seeing more horror, you know, and it's, you know, I, I, and I, what I love about horror also is that there's all kinds of different types of horror, you know, it's, it's one of the only, uh, probably the only genre that has, you know, dozens of subgenres, you know, so you have, you know, drama horror and you have comedy horror, you have action horror, you know, like even just satanic Hispanics, you know, runs the gamut of, you know, um, serious horror, you know, dramatic horror, and then, you know, goofy horror, action horror, you know, there's, so it definitely, um, has a lot of things to offer different people. And I know like my favorite subgenre is the action comedy, like evil dead two is, is one of my favorite horror films, but that type of kind of, you know, um, approach I've always loved. And that's why in, in my movie Vampiro is very much kind of a, an homage a little bit, I think to evil dead Two, or at least that style of filmmaking. So, um, you know, I think the sky's the limit with horror and I'm really excited about the future. The audiences, the genre and the demand is going strong. And as a matter of fact, Nobody knows the future of horror. Exactly like the improvisational <laughs> nature of the Blair Witch Super Saga and also of the satanic Hispanic feature film. Thank you very much, Eduardo Miguel Sanchez Quiros. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun.